All right, good morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord today, amen? We've had some great worship. I'm just blown away once again by... <laughs> this is pretty cool, dude. It really is. Amen. But anyway, I'm just blown away with Operation Christmas Child. It's just incredible. This is such a wonderful opportunity to make a difference in someone's life. And I just hope you'll make a commitment, you know, that I am going to pack a box this year. Every person in the sound of my voice, even on the radio, I'm going to pack a box. I'm going to make a difference in some child's life somewhere around the world in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not just receiving a gift. It's about receiving the greatest gift, and that is Jesus Christ. I hope, I hope you will. Listen, amen. I hope you will make a commitment this year. Next week, this time, we'll be in here, and we'll have our boxes here. We'll hand them out. Again, you can come by the office anytime this week. We'll give them to you then. If you want to go ahead and go to your store and start purchasing items, plan ahead, do it. It will be a great, great blessing to someone in this world. Blown away today. Well, listen, that's a good way to introduce the message because we're talking about this idea of feeling unworthy. What a powerful job uh, the congregation and choir did on this last song. Talking about, I'm glad yesterdays are gone. All my hope is in Jesus. But here's the truth. The truth is, it's sometimes easy to forget what a blessing that is. Even last night, um, Yesterday, y'all have been so kind to ask me how I'm doing. And honestly, there are good days and there are bad days. There are days when I just don't feel well. And there's days I feel like I could conquer the world. And so I was sharing with someone via text message yesterday. And he was really encouraging me to believe the truth. I said, you know, it's so easy when you're, when, when you're preaching and when you're sharing to talk about the truth of, of all our hope is in Jesus. And all things are possible through God. And God's in control. And then sometimes in those not so easy times, it's easy to revert back about a sense of, is God there for me? Am I, am I really going to one day be like where I was before? Maybe so, maybe not. But it's so easy to do that. And that's kind of how unworthiness works. The idea and the thought of, we experience God's grace, and some of you have no clue about this. You know, some of you, it, it just never occurred to you to think that you're unworthy. And that may not be a good thing, because if you're full of pride, it's not a really good thing either. We're going to talk about that today. But, but again, a lot of us understand this sense of unworthiness. Um, I've listened to a message. I'll go ahead and give him a general reference. I listened to a message this week by Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church, And he talked about the fact, that even as a young man, that he never was good enough. And I can identify so much with that. All my life, I've struggled uh, with people's approval, and uh, you know, and that causes me to wrestle even with God's approval. How can I be worthy of all that He has given me and has blessed me with? And so we wrestle with this unworthiness. The song that you heard, which obviously was not the one we've been using, is called "I Say," and the words. Let me just repeat them back to you. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me. I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? And then speaking to God, she says, Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. And that's what my purpose today, that's my bottom line, that's my big idea, is I want to spend this time reminding us who we are. The greatest weapon against the sense of unworthiness in this world that we live in is 
who we are. And frankly, again, if you are the ones that don't wrestle with unworthiness, but you might wrestle with pride, okay, then, then you need to understand who you are also in Christ Jesus. Um, to help you get a better grasp, a better understanding of the feeling of unworthiness, um, I've asked one of our folks to share with you via video today. And uh, so, uh, Patty, if you'll share that video with us right now. My name is Katie Whiting, and if you knew me, you would think that I was this bubbly, uh, overly personable, confident, independent woman, but if I was honest, I am none of those things. In fact, it's a daily battle to make sure that I can get up out of bed and understand that I am enough. I battle with being um, worthy enough of people's affections. Um, being worthy enough of God's blessings, and in fact, just being worthy enough of God's love. Um, again, like I said, I, it's a daily battle. So every day I have to put on my armor to understand that God does love me, that I, I am enough, uh, that I am enough only because He has made me enough, because He has blessed me with a tool set that has made me um, able to do my business or able to raise two beautiful girls that he's blessed me with and to have the family that I have. Um, it's all because of him. Um, so at the end of the day, I sing his praises. Uh, I lean heavily on the song by Lauren Daigle, You Say, because I hear the lies that Satan speaks over me every day, but those lies are drowned out because God speaks truth. So I try to lean as heavily into that truth as I possibly can. To know that when I am weak, he's strong. I don't have to be strong because God's strong for me. And when I feel like I'm not enough, I don't have to worry about being enough because God is enough. Like I said, if I'm honest, this is a daily battle, so I don't have this battle won. But each step towards God, to me, is a small victory. If we're honest, if we're honest. Yeah. And some of you out there, again, a chunk of you and a chunk of you listening on the radio can really identify with what Katie just shared. We, we kind of have an agreement, Katie and I do, that we're kind of like soul brother and sister because, again, the things that, that we wrestle with um, in our lives. So I really want to spend this time today helping us be overcomers over the sense and feeling of being uh, unworthy. Now, the scripture we're going to use today, our base scripture, is John chapter 8. And, of course, it's a wonderfully clear message that you've heard many times about a woman taken in adultery. And so if you want to go ahead and take your Bibles and turn there to John chapter 8, we're going to launch in just a moment. Now, the one thing I want to let you know is, is that often in Bible stories, now listen, there's a backstory. Often in Bible stories, there's a backstory that might be as big as the front story. You know, have you ever thought about Eve and Adam? Eve and Adam. Here we have Eve being tempted by Satan, and you kind of want to ask the question, where's Adam during this? While his wife is being attacked... By Satan, where is Adam? And the answer is, he's standing there. The Bible makes it very clear that Adam is standing next to Eve while his wife is being attacked and does absolutely nothing. That's a backstory that you may not be familiar with. We have the story, of course, of David. And we think about David and 
Bathsheba. And the big story that we know and we see is one of adultery. And that's because of the passion and the spiciness of that part of the story. That's the front story that we see. But behind that front story is a bigger backstory. It was certainly bigger to God because that's when David had Uriah killed in battle. You know, the, the bigger, the front story of adultery pales to the idea that he killed a man or had a man killed in battle. Uh, the story of the prodigal son. It's another one. The front story is, you know, the young son goes away and, and rebels against the father and comes home. And, and that's the front story. But there's a back story there that is very large, and that's the older brother. You know, the, the young man comes home and confesses to the father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. And the, old bro- the older brother hates his younger brother and never confesses and never repents. But that story is kind of hidden over the story of Redemption. Well, there's two stories going on here today. The, the main players, of course, is there's a person that was accused, and then there's a group of people that are the accusers, and then there's Jesus. And the story of the accusers is really as big as the story of the accused. Now, I need to tell you this, that you need to understand, this is not a parable. This, and boy, you didn't nail this down. This really happened. This was not a story. You know, Jesus was famous for making up stories to make a point. This is not a made-up story. This really happened. And I hope it will just grip your heart. This morning as I was studying, when I thought about a certain part, and I'll tell you when I get there, I was just overwhelmed with grief for this person. Somehow I was suddenly able to be transferred 2,000 years ago, and I was standing there in the group watching what was happening. And it just overwhelmed me with remorse and sorrow for her. So let's look at John chapter 8 and let's look at this story of unworthiness. I, I taught it on my notes, the anatomy of unworthiness. The anatomy of unworthiness. It's, it's, like it's like playing out. And, and like I say, it's funny because the front story, you get the woman taking adultery of her unworthiness, but the truth is the accusers were just as unworthy as the other one. So here's how it goes. The Bible says in John chapter, we'll pick up in verse number 2, John chapter 8, verse number 2, at dawn. Now, it's very significant because of this story, okay? So, follow away in your mind, at dawn, as in the sun has just come up, night has just passed. Just kind of follow that away. At dawn, he, Jesus, went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. So once again, Jesus returns to the temple early, early in the morning, or probably too early for most Baptists, okay? But early in the morning, he returns to the temple to teach. It's around dawn. And then, in verse number 3, then, then suddenly, with that announcement, then the scribes and the Pharisees, out of nowhere, out of the scribes and Pharisees, they show up and they brought a woman Caught in adultery, and here it is. Here's what really just grabbed my heart. Caught a woman taken in adultery, making her stand in the center. All of a sudden, I was there. So here's Jesus, and he's teaching these folks. And then there's a, there's a ruckus, okay? And Jesus looks up, and here comes the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day. And they are bringing in this woman. And in my mind, I always seem to have it that she was on the ground. But she's not. They made her, they made her 
stand in the middle of the circle. She was caught in the act of adultery. Now, I need to make this clear to you. It wasn't just that she was living with a person. She was caught in the act of adultery. Remember the dawn? Night is just over. They have gone to this woman's house, okay, and drug her out of the bedroom. Her hair is matted and disheveled. Perhaps there are tears of embarrassment flowing down from her cheek. She's clothed, but probably scantily so. And she's drugged down in front of all these people at the temple and made to stand in front of everyone. Now, there's one thing that I need to point out to you that you need to know. Is that when you have in a situation like this, there's a woman and there is a man. I want you to clearly notice that the scribes and Pharisees did not bring the man. Just brought the woman. And that was so common in that culture. That woman were, women were just treated so much like so much property or garbage. And by the way, may I just be honest and say that? These religious folks, the ones that were so unworthy but had no clue because they strapped on all the religious garb, these men treated this woman like so much garbage, like so much trash. So they make her stand in front of the circle. And then they start. Verse 4. Teacher, they said to him, hear the disdain. This woman. This Woman. Sometimes Jesus would use the term woman and was meant with total respect. In this sense, it's total disrespect. The religious elite bring this woman, make her stand and say, Now, now Jesus, this woman, she, she has been caught in the act of committing adultery. Now, I keep, it, keep in mind that in order for this charge to stick... Okay, two or three witnesses. So through the keyhole, through the window, somehow they've observed what's going on in this home. And they have drugged this woman out in public now. And we caught her, they say, in the very act of committing adultery. Now, verse 5. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. That just grates me. The law if you want to take it to a degree, the law commanded that the man and the woman be stoned. Where is the man? And see, it proves the point that the scribes and Pharisees were not interested in the law. They were not interested in obeying God. They were interested in capturing and entrapping Jesus. And they were willing to do anything that it took to do so. It, it concerns me that so often in the church we are similar to that. So often when a person falls in a sin or when someone has the courage to walk through the doors of a local church for the first time and perhaps they look just a little bit different or perhaps you know a story on them. 
You, you know that their life, you know, oh, you read the paper and last week they were in jail for drug charges or, or last week they had a DUI or, or perhaps, again, they come in and there's too many tats for your comfort zone and there's too many piercings for your comfort zone or the hair is just a little bit different color uh, than that. And so consequently, there's this almost sense of disdain for the person as they come through the door. And that's exactly, that's exactly, that's exactly What's happening here? And we hear these scribes and Pharisees almost like they say, we, Jesus, we have no choice in this matter. We're not here because we want to be. We're here because we have to be. Because the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women as this. It's not our choice. It's our religious obligation to condemn sin and sinners in their eyes and the consequence in the process promote ourselves up. How sad. How sad. Folks, may the church never be that. May the church never be a place of condemnation. May it be a church, a place of grace. Hear my plea today. Hear my plea. Whether it's someone in the church or whether it's someone outside the church. Maybe it's someone who comes every week or someone who's come for the first time in a lifetime. But when people come in and they're devastated by the horrors of sin, they're devastated by the effects of sin, when they come in and they're scarred and they're beating and they're bleeding from this world and its sin, may this be a place of grace. May this be a place where they come and feel safe. We're obligated, Jesus, to stone such women. You know, people like that. So what do you say? Now keep in mind, and, and, and uh, John helps us because in verse number 6, he gives us the background. He says, they asked this to trap him in order that they may have evidence to accuse him. So this is not about God's law. This is not about being spiritual. This is not about holiness. This is about we're trying to trap Jesus. I love I wrote down the NIV, which says it this way in verse 6. They were using this question as a trap. And they were not only using this question as a trap. They were using this woman as bait. Church. We should never use people. We should never use, quote, sinners to make us feel better about ourselves. We have got, we have got to be portrayers of the grace of God. Jesus has said over and over again that as we have sinned and been forgiven, so we should extend that same forgiveness. And if we have experienced God's grace, so we should be a people of grace. That's what we're called. But we're obligated. And they brought her forth. And they wanted to trap Jesus. So they used her as bait. And what did Jesus do? Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. Oh, the speculation of what he was writing. And the truth is, we do not know. We don't know. I know this, though. I know why he was writing on the ground. He's letting time pass. You know, I was a kid. By the way, this will help some of y'all. I know some of y'all get really bored during the message. 
So I'll tell you what I used to do when I was a kid is I'd get a pen from mom and in the bulletin I would find all the P's and O's and color in the circles. And when you get done, it's really cool because you get to see how many dots there are. Okay, that's how I used to... Well, I think Jesus is passing time. When I was a kid, I would doodle on the news, on the bulletin, filling in the spots, passing time. Well, he's letting time go. And then the Bible says, they persisted in questioning him. Hey, Jesus, did you not hear us? This woman was taken in adultery in the very act, and Moses says, we are to stone her. What do you say? And here's the deal. If he said, you know, yeah, stone her, then they're going to say, oh, well, Mr. Grace, Mr. Friend of Sinners, what happened to that? If he says, don't stone her, then they're going to say, aha, total disregard for God's law. So they had a plan. Never mess with Jesus. Don't mess with Jesus. So they persisted in questioning him. He stood up and said, The one without sin among you. Pause. That's what we got to remember. It's awful easy in this world to forget that we're sinners. We may have experienced God's grace, but we're still sinners. So when Jesus said, the one without sin among you, the fact is, it's like hunting unicorns. Have you known that there's no such thing as a unicorn? You can say, I'm going to hunt for a unicorn. Well, you will hunt a long time and never find one because there aren't any. And the person without sin does not exist. It doesn't exist in the Baptist church. It doesn't exist in the Holiness church. It doesn't exist in the Methodist church. It doesn't exist in the Presbyterian church. It doesn't exist in the non-denominational churches. It doesn't exist where the gifts or the spiritual gifts are more exercised or one where they're not. All have sin. Someone say all. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says sin is sin. You Listen, we don't have the right to drag a person and say, you are this or you are that because we are this or that. And Jesus said, you without sin among you should be the first to cast a stone. The, the, the first stone should come from the person who's never sinned. Now notice what he didn't say. He did not say, those of you on a scale of 1 to 10 are an 8... You cast the first stone. Those of you who are a nine on the stone. Those of you who count yourself quite spiritual. Cast the first stone. He did not. The standard was perfection. And he said, you with no sin. You who are perfect. You get to cast the first stone. You should cast the first stone. And then he stooped down. And started writing again. Like I told you the... The uh, speculation is great. Some believe that he wrote down the names of all the sinners in the circle. He probably would have known them. They were the leaders of the synagogue. Some said perhaps he's writing down the various sins that they were guilty of. Because again, being God, he knew what they had done. But I wondered and said to myself, perhaps he was writing love notes to the woman. 
And by the way, it's a perhaps. I wonder if words like grace, forgiveness, love were written in the sand. We don't know. But he's just letting time pass. Letting time pass. And the Bible says in verse number 8, verse number 9, when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. See, the truth became clear. The truth became clear that, that each one of them had a sin issue. The truth was each one of them were unworthy. And, and here's the bad part. You know, we sometimes think that our sins are secret. Really? Not hardly, not in a Baptist church. Now, don't you, don't you share this with anybody in 15 minutes. Have you heard about so-and-so? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Our sins are not... Well, first off, they're not secret before God, for sure. And often they're not secret among others, either. So one by one, beginning with the older, these people start disappearing and walking away. And then, when Jesus... I'm sorry... Only he was left with the woman in the center. There's the sinless one and the sinner. There's a savior and a sinner. Isn't that beautiful? Everyone else had left. Everyone else had walked away. And the one who could condemn her was there. And the one who was worthy to be condemned was there. The one who desperately needed a Savior was there. And the Savior was there. The one who needed rescue was there. And the rescuer was there. The one who needed redemption was there. And the Redeemer was there. Someone say amen. See, that's... Okay, listen. When we get down to that point... And we understand that we all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. And, and when we have church, a bunch of redeemed sinners show up and God Almighty shows up. When that happens, things happen. When that happens, things happen. I tell you what, the best thing we can do. Now listen, don't walk around. Don't walk around and go, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You're so much more than that. But we should not forget what God has saved us from. And that was the eternity, eternal destiny in hell. He saved us from that. He saved us from that. So here they are and they're standing there. And so he stands up and looks her eyeball to eyeball. He stands up and says to her, Woman, where are they? Where are the accusers? Where are the rock chuckers? Where are the ones who are going to condemn you? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. No one. What would, what would church be like if our circle looked like this? Jesus and redemption? Wouldn't the church be different? Wouldn't it be cool if the idea of the thought of chucking rocks at one another was as foreign as me getting up and flying around the building? Wouldn't it be wonderful if redemption was the theme and grace was the theme and not let me put you down so I can lift myself up? How would your family be different? 
How would your family be different if your children knew that you loved them and were not going to condemn them? Ma'am, how would your husband be different? How would your husband be different that he knew if he did mess up that you weren't going to chuck a rock at him that you're going to love him anyway? Husband, what about your wife? I'm telling you, when grace and redemption are dominant in any situation, things get better quickly. It's a game changer. It's a game changer. So she says, my condemners are gone. And, and so Jesus said, go, go. And now notice he didn't just gloss over her sin. He didn't say, oh, that adultery thing, <laughs> don't worry about that. We all mess up. No. He said, go and sin no more. I'm not going to condemn you, but I'm telling you, go and sin no more. He extended grace to the most unlikely candidate there. And guess what? He's done it for you. He did it for you. Over here, way in the far corner. He did it for you. We all were such, un- we were all such unlikely candidates. He just extended grace. He just reached out and extended Isn't that just amazing? I guess that's why they wrote the song Amazing Grace. Because it really is just amazing. So let's just be honest. If you're here today and you wrestle with unworthiness, let let me help you. And and again, I I need to mention Greg Rochelle's name because it kind of came from a message that I heard him preach this week. But the deal is this. Truth be known, in and of ourselves, by ourselves... We are unworthy. Don't be afraid to say that. In and of ourselves, we are unworthy. But as he said so clearly on the video, that I like to say now person to person with you, is that we're never alone. We stand with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. As we have trusted Christ as Savior, as we have become believers in Christ, as we have become part of the family of God, we never stand alone. Yes, by ourselves and on ourselves, we're unworthy. But we don't stand by ourselves. We stand with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He gladly stands by our side. And how we need to be grateful and thankful for that. Ira Stanfield. Now, let me help this, students. Let me help you here. Okay? You don't know who Ira Stanfield is, um, but he was a really famous writer of gospel songs back in the 40s and 50s and 60s. He'd be like a Chris Tomlin today. He'd be like a Toby Mack today. He'd be like a Wren Collective today. Um, He would be like, you know, one of these other ones that we hear so much, Chris Tomlin today. But he wrote a song back in 1959, which happens to be 59 years ago. And here's what it said. Unworthy am I of the grace that he gave. Unworthy to hold to his hand. Amazed that a king would reach down to a slave. This love I cannot understand. Unworthy. Unworthy. A beggar in bondage and alone. And here it is. But he made me worthy. And now by his grace, his mercy has made me his own. You know, Jesus, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1 and verse number, number, Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, therefore, there is no condemnation. How much? Yeah. 
You need to write that down. Romans chapter 8, verse number 1. Paul says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. When, when the sense and the, and the overwhelming power of unworthiness comes upon us, we need to claim the word of God. We need to lay aside the lies and pick up the truth. And here's what God says about you. When you are in Christ Jesus, no matter how long your sin list are, is, no matter how much you think you've messed up, when you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Well, why is that, Dwayne? Because of this. When he died on that Roman cross and for the sins of the entire world and then each person comes and kneels at this cross and to the Savior on the cross and believing that he's the Son of God and that he died for us and that he sacrificed his blood for us and that if we asked him to forgive our sins in faith, believing that and choose to follow him, turning from our sin and choosing to follow him, then guess what? There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. And let me just throw this out there right now. It, that is true no matter what. But Dwayne, what about the devil? Well, John 8, says the devil is a liar and it's natural language. Get over Satan. He's a liar. He's a liar. He'll come to you and whisper in your ear. You don't. You can't. You don't. God doesn't. He's a liar. Well, Dwayne, what about other people? Honestly, do they matter? Do they really matter? Let me ask you a question. In our story today, did the scribes and Pharisees really matter in the outcome of the story? They didn't, did they? See, here's what's cool. It doesn't matter what Satan says about you. And it does not matter what others say about you. In fact, it doesn't even matter what you say about you. The truth is, what matters is what God says. About you. And you need to believe that. It doesn't matter what Satan says. It doesn't matter what others say. It doesn't matter what we say. It matters what God says about us. And here's what God says about you. In 1 John 3, 1. See what great love. How, you you know how great that love is? It's a love that will not let you go, Rosalind. It will not let you go. No matter how hard you resist, no matter how hard you pull away, if you have genuinely put your faith and trust in Christ, if you're genuinely born again, if you've genuinely turned from your sin and are following Christ, even all of that, this great love will not let you go. All my hope is in Jesus. It's not in my performance. It's not my ability to somehow make sense of it all. It's in Him. Behold what great love, King James, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called God's children or children of God. So if you're a Christian today, if you're a Christ follower today, let me tell you who you are. You are a child of God. Do not let your past define who you are. Don't let a momentary last of common sense define who you are. Don't let your sin define who you are. 
If you are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. You are blood-bought. You are redeemed. You are white as snow in the eyes of God. He became sin that you could become the righteousness of God. And nothing can change that. Not your mistakes, not your sins, not, not anything you have. Listen, you are a child of God. Relish that. I know it's easy when I'm standing up here talking because I'm one of us. It's so easy when I read the Word of God. When I read the story about the woman taking adultery, it was so easy for me to go, yes, God, that's truth. See, we have a propensity to believe the lies. We have a tendency to believe the lies of Satan and not the truth of God. Oh, he says, believe me. Believe me. You are a child of God. You're not a drunkard. You're not a liar. You're a child of God. You may tell lies, but you're a child of God. If you've been born again. And you may have a drinking issue. And before we chuck rocks about people who have a drinking issue, look at your waistline, friend. Your addiction may not be alcohol, but it might be food. Don't be chucking rocks. Don't be throwing Identify with who you... Each person here, identify who you are. You're not super spiritual. You're not super religious. You're not somehow deserving the forgiveness of God. You're blood-bought. You're forgiven by Jesus Christ. And that's how you're going to heaven. Not how spiritual or religious you think you are. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called God's children. And, And then John goes, and we are. That's who we are. And he goes on and says this. The reason the world does not know us is that it doesn't know him. That's probably true sometimes in the church. I I really think it's taken me a long time to really get a a, a better grip on grace. Because I'm telling you guys, I've been doing, I've been this preaching thing for about 35 years now. And I've been a Christian, a Christ follower, for 43 years. And I had so much stinking religion ingrained in me that all I could think about was perform, 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 keep rules, do, do, do. And if I do that, God will love me. Guess what? He loves me anyway. I got better news than that. He loves you anyway. He loves you. He loves you. And nothing's going to stop that. Nothing's going to stop it. That. The song that we, we introduced here not too long ago says, You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. So, would you hear that truth today? God is a good father. I know y'all have had some bad dads. I know when I say father, some really bad things pop in your brain. Well, trust me, your heavenly father is not like your earthly father. He loves you. We are loved by him. So what's the final deal? What's the final deal? Well, in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, Paul says, What then shall we say about these things? 
What shall we say about the fact that we're not perfect? What shall we say then about our tendency to stumble and to fall? What shall we say then about these things? What shall we say then about the tendency that we have to think these dark thoughts about ourselves that somehow that we're so still unworthy? Well, Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah, y'all don't, want, y'all don't want to miss that good opportunity. So when Satan comes accusing, when your, others, when your others come accusing, and when you come accusing yourself, just remember this, God thinks highly of you. If God is for you, and as a child of God, He is. He is. He's not halfway for you. He's not on good days. When you do well, He's you know, good for you, or good, you know, for you. God is for you. Who can be against us? Does it matter what the scribes or Pharisees say? Does it matter what your brain tells you? Does it matter what your performance even tells about you? And by the way, can I just give you a freebie? The, the way to get rid of the guilt of bad performance is don't perform bad. Just need to throw that out to you. I don't want you to think I'm just glossing over, you know, the sin issue and holiness. We need to be holy. But when we mess up, we should not get in our brains that somehow God loves us less. Because he doesn't. Because he doesn't. If God is for us, who is going to be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up. For us all. He did not even spare his own son. Now, can I break that down for you? 2,000 years ago, y'all about got me blocked off from the cross, folks. 2,000 years ago, on Good Friday, Jesus was nailed to a cross somewhat similar to this. And let me just remind you what happened that day. Physically, he suffered more than any other man. Spiritually, he suffered more than any other man. That day, again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteous of God. That day, when, when the Bible says he did not spare his own son, let me help you here. He went through a death like no other death, but God in the flesh, God in the flesh, took on the sins of the entire world. Holy God took on the sins of the entire world and endured the wrath of His Father. When He said He didn't spare His Son, He didn't spare His Son. And when He cried out and said, It is finished, It was. When he cried out, it is finished, it was. And he cried out and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is you and me and seven billion people on this planet plus all the ones before. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. So when you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, I don't feel very worthy. Remember that. God did not spare his own son for you because he loved you. And he wanted you to come in the family of God. He knew the price of sin, which is death, and then paid the price of sin that we could come in to relationship. The closing words to that song says this. You say, I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say, I am strong when I think I am weak. You say, I'm held when I am falling short. When I don't belong, you say that I am yours. And the response is, and I believe. I believe. I believe. I guess the big question is this. What are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? Greg Rochelle also said this. He said, the mind is a battlefield. The truth that God speaks about you and the lies that Satan says to you and about you. Replace the lies with truth. Replace the lies with truth. There's a battlefield in this mind. And you have to determine who are you going to believe. Are you going to believe what others say about you? Are you going to say what your past, believe what your past says about you? Are you going to believe what Satan says about you? Or are you going to believe what holy God says about you? He counts you worthy because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of sharing this truth today. And I've told them already, and I'll tell them again, this is something I wrestle with. Too often, Father, I just believe the lies that others speak, that Satan speaks. And I refuse the truth. God, I guess I need a miracle today. I'm asking that would die in my life, but not mine only, but others, Father, in this room. Father, may we understand what it means to really truly be a new creation in Christ. May we understand the power of your grace and redemption. May we relish and abide in the love that you have for us. God, this is all so important because when we're defeated, when we're on the dark side of the moon, we cannot be effective for you in this kingdom. Satan knows that, and that's why he feeds us the junk. So may we be overcomers today. May we believe the truth over a lie. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.